Now, if you'll remain standing with me, please, as we read our sermon scripture today from 2 Corinthians 7. We're going to uh, kind of bookend last week's uh, sermon that Pastor Andrew brought. Uh, as you'll notice, uh, we're going to go um, the passage before and, and just after. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted on every turn, fighting without and fear within. The God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still the more. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting before Titus proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. The word of the Lord. Lord God, we come expectant this morning. Here we are before your word. We know that you're going to speak to us. You know, we know that you've already been speaking to us. And now, as Pastor Addison brings this word to our ears, we pray that that same work that you've been doing in his heart as he studied this word would also be multiplied into all ours. That we be a changed people whom um, these words would make sense for that there's confidence in our faith and trust in you, that you are working something unbelievable in our hearts. Unbelievable if someone had told us ahead of time. But we know that you are able to do all your holy will. And we submit now to your word and pray, Lord God, that um, you would hear the amen in our hearts. Thank you and bless us this morning with your word, we ask. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning and to bring you God's word out of our uh, sermon series. We're still going through 2 Corinthians, like Ken mentioned, and just uh, excited to bring God's word to you uh, this morning. You know, as you see in your bulletin, we're going to uh, be focusing on this idea of our life together. I mean, that's sort of the title or the, the community aspect of comfort and joy and pain and suffering. And as I was thinking about that this week and past couple of weeks, uh, 
I was reminded of, uh, of my life growing up. I played soccer quite a bit. I was a big soccer player. I uh, played in high school and uh, club teams quite a bit. And it's something that I seek to continue to do. I play weekly here with uh, the couple guys here at church on Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Uh, it's a little early to play soccer, but, you know, you walk outside right now and you're just woken up by the cold air. So that's not too bad. But, you know, that, there's other things like that that I'm involved in. I do a workout class that Pastor Andrew has uh, suckered me into at the gym. It's, uh, it's called boot camp, but I'm going to rename it uh, to fitness wake up. Uh, I am not as in shape as I thought I might have been. Went to this class and I'm certainly there. But y- we all are a part of things like this, you know, whether it be some sort of organized sport, whether it be a workout class. It could be the the knitting club. We have a, a we have a quilting club here at church. Whether that be through bands, through orchestra, through your school, or through like a garage band, you get together with some friends and and play music. We can all find a place where we gather with other people to do something similar together. And there's a lot of reasons and motivations for us coming to these things. You know, I think about myself with soccer. I go because I like to play soccer. I go because I enjoy that. Uh, there's other men there that go because they want to run around early before work and work off their steam and, and stress. There's other people that were invited by friends, and that's why they come. And we all have motivations to why we go to these different groups. But one thing is true is that as we do these things together, there's this mutual benefit that we get from it. And there's something about being a part of these groups that's attractive to us. You know, because we all long to be a part of groups like that. You know, I go to this particular soccer group because I'm sort of comfortable there. I, no one's there to try and win the World Cup on a Friday morning at 6 a.m., no one's trying to impress scouts, but we're there to have fun and enjoy our time, and I feel sort of safe in this group. I can have fun and not feel like I'm going to hurt myself at the same time. Likewise, again, we all have our motivations and the benefits that come from the communities we find ourselves in. Just look at where you're at this morning. You know, we are a part of this community called Christ Church that God has brought together. And there is a mutual benefit from me to you and you all to one another and you all to me. And that's exactly what our passage is talking about this morning in 2 Corinthians. You know, our longing for community, our longing to be a part of something. You know, God brings us into that and uses those communities to bring about his comfort, his joy, his love to those that are a part of it. You know, so God is the God of all comfort. We've seen that in this series uh, throughout the whole thing. And in, in that, he uses us as his vehicles to bring about that comfort to one another. I mean, that's the main idea this morning, as you'll see in your bulletin, that we are God's vehicles, we are God's medium for how he expresses his comfort, his love, his joy, his peace, his grace to one another. You know, this working through us, it's not a selfish gain. It's not simply for my benefit, and yet it's not simply just for our benefit. It's not as if God uses us as empty vessels just merely to make other people feel good. But rather, there is a mutual benefit to the way that God works through us in other people's lives. And the Westminster Confession of Faith 
I think, says this really well. We're going to have some time to reflect on that later when we take communion, sort of that whole text. But there's a, a sentence in there that I think sort of expresses this really well. It says, that being united one to another in love, they, so us, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as to conduce their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. And that last part there, both in the inward and outward man, that's going to be sort of the, the flow of our outline this morning. We're going to look at the inward part, sort of the, the inward uh, benefit that we all have in, in this communion together. And then we're going to look at what does that look like, so what? How, how do we appropriate that? What does that look like in our life together here and also in our various different communities we find ourselves in? And, and so we have three points, and we start with uh, Christ flowing through us. Christ flowing through us. And so our union with Christ is the idea that's behind this. And this starts there. It starts with our being connected to Jesus Christ that we get the benefits of, of, of him and his ministry. There's a, a quote. It says, it, so union with Christ means that through the Spirit, sinners are adopted into the household of God as co-heirs with Christ. It means that God's Spirit is poured out to make the life and the teaching of Jesus real to us. So as we look to be in one another's lives, as we look to sort of model what Paul and Titus and the Corinthians are doing, our union with Christ, our connection with Christ is really the lifeblood of how that happens. This is a truth that Paul simply kind of references to the Corinthians here in this portion of the text. He talks about how he has been comforted by God. But this is an idea that he has just been trying to drill into the Corinthians Letter after letter, time after time, it goes all the way back to First Corinthians. It's probably a part of that harsh letter that he had written to them, that Titus brought to them, that led them to repentance. And it's all over Second Corinthians. If we remind ourselves of where we started in our sermon series back in chapter 1, we can see this. You know, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. You know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. In chapter, or verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we are sharing abundantly in comfort too. There's that idea that we share in Christ's sufferings abundantly. That is a working out of the theology of union with Christ. Again, later in, in chapter 1, verse 21, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. It's chapter 5, chapter 8. I mean, it's all over his letter. It's it's clear that Paul is trying to get this idea through to them as you seek to minister to one another, as you seek to care for one another, do not forget how you are able to do that. Do not forget where the power comes from to do that. I mean, this is not the only place Paul talks about this idea. He talks about it all over the New Testament. There's hundreds of references to this. Anytime you see in Christ or with Christ, this is the idea that Paul is trying to get across. 
you know, as our life together with one another, we seek to bring comfort and joy, peace and love with one another. We are unable to do that on our own. We have to be able to do that through our union and connection with Christ. I was meeting with a college student this past week. I do a lot of work with college students here. Um, for better or not, you can ask him. Um, I was meeting with a college student, and we were, uh, this particular college student's an engineer and was very passionate about power systems and electricity. And he was sharing with me the way that these things work and, and how we get what we get from our outlets. And so while I am certainly not an expert and didn't study it, and I will not try and replicate all of those details for you, I did think that there was uh, something there that connects with what we're talking about. So you have a source, maybe heat of some sort, maybe uh, it's heat produced by a turbine or something, uh, water, you know, solar, you know, natural gases, coal. You have a source, and then there's a process in which turbines turn, and then the, the power plant sends out electricity through the lines that then come to all of our buildings, power our lights, our sound systems, our clocks so we wake up on time this morning, all the different things, our coffee, we need that in the morning. Again, a very simplified version of what that looks like, but you get the point. You get the idea of where I'm going. You have a source that produces something that is carried through a line and goes to different places to then produce more power. So you have God, who is the source of joy and of comfort, the source of peace and love, the source of community. And he works through us to bring that comfort and joy into other people's lives. He works through us as sort of the lines, if you will, to move that comfort into other people's lives. So what do we do with that? How do we apply it? Well, I think it's a, it's a simple application that we need to soak it in. We need to believe that that is true. We need to see that God is the God of all comfort and that it's his comfort that we're bringing to other people. It's not our comfort. It's not our niceties, our well wishes. I mean, that's the opposite of what we're talking about. The opposite is a very individualistic idea of how we love and care for one another. It's what I can bring you and how I can encourage you and make you feel better in your pain and sorrow. But rather, what we're talking about is, is producing God's comfort, God's love, God's joy into one another's life. And that's exactly what Paul was doing with his harsh letter to the Corinthians. He was sending them a letter that was not, I am Paul telling you to repent, but rather, I am Paul, look to Christ. I am Paul, remember your union with Christ. Remember what that means for how you guys live your life together. And we see that response that happened last week in Andrew's sermon, the repentance that came from that. So we need to drink this in. We need to soak it in. We need to know that that is true. Therefore, we don't get burnt out as we try and love and serve one another. Or rather, we are conduits for God's love and God's comfort. You know, adoption, justification, sanctification, these things are all benefits of our union with Christ. Baptism, communion, these are pledges to us for our union with Christ, that Christ has not forsaken us. He's not let us go, but he is there working in our lives. And this is very freeing. 
we really soak this in. It is very freeing. And in times of sorrow and grief and joy, when I don't have things to offer, when I am myself in sorrow or grieving, and I can't drum up a good thing to say, I don't have to. I know that I have to be a conduit of God's comfort, of God's truth, of his love and joy. And that I'm merely and simply pointing people back to the God of all comfort, but not to me. Okay, so what does that look like? How, how do we then live that out in our communities, in our congregation here? And that's where our last two points, our second points, will we'll focus. We'll look at how we share in suffering and how our joy is escalated, escalating joy. So we share in suffering. So if we look at our text, 2 Corinthians 7, I mean, this is what was happening with the Corinthians, with Paul, and with Titus. So verse 5, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, though we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without in fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God used Titus as a means to bring comfort back to Paul. We have to remind ourselves, why was Paul afflicted? Why was he in Macedonia? Why did he go there? Well, he was, uh, if we go back to chapter 2, he was in Troas doing gospel ministry, but was so bereft of not seeing Titus that he had to move on. So verse 12 and 13, came to Troas, preached the gospel of Christ. There was a door opened for me in the Lord. My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Now Paul was really suffering And his suffering was only alleviated when God brought Titus and the good news back from the Corinthians. We can think of another uh, example of this in the New Testament. We think of Jesus. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a period of time in which he was in the tomb. And those that were near to him felt that pain and that sorrow, that grief of, of losing someone that they truly loved. You know, what did they do with that? They shared in that suffering together. They came together for each other's mutual benefit to work through that period of time. They ministered and cared one to another. And I think this is really important for us to grasp because it's, it's not the, the minister, the pastor, the session that are the ones that are only doing the caring. It's the community. It's all of us. It's it's you and me, our, our wives, our spouses, our friends in this community. We are the ones that, that carry God's comfort and love and joy to another. And this is something that was very common in, in the New Testament. You know, we just really didn't think about God's story and God's people. I mean, there was persecution happening all over the place during that time. Even in this letter, you know, there's false apostles, super apostles that are bringing about a gospel that's not true. Think of other letters that Paul has written you know, encouraging the people to, to not, uh, to listen to those false prophets and, and so forth. You get the letter to the Hebrews, uh, you know, there's lots of persecution going on to the churches at that time. Think about the reign of Nero and all the, the, the persecution he had on Christians. Then we think of the first and second century as well. I mean, you think those churches were called the Church of the Apostles and the Church of the Martyrs. You know, to be martyrs means there must have been persecutions that were going on. And we have accounts of what that was like. 
And the community could come together and appropriate God's comfort and love for one another. And likewise, we look at where we're at today, and the same is true. I mean, today, as we mentioned in the Friday letter, and you'll see in your bulletin, today is a day of prayer for the persecuted church. I mean, the church is still, the church of Christ is still persecuted even today. And we do have to take a step back and kind of point out, you know, here we are in West Michigan, Grand Rapids, worshiping openly, and thousands of other people are worshiping today in our city, in our state, in our country, worshiping openly. And beyond our shorelines, the, the church is persecuted. I was just reminded of that this morning, talking with someone in the foyer, of their connections to the church in Egypt uh, that was just uh, incurred some losses this last week with gunfire and shots. You know, seven people died. And there was persecution happening because of their beliefs and who they were. And so we got to take a step back. We ask ourselves, okay, what, what do we do here? What does it look like for us as Christ Church to care for those folks? And I think we get some cues from Titus and Paul. We begin by praying. We begin by praying for the persecuted church. There's a wonderful banner in the foyer that you can go look at. It's got ten ways you can pray for the persecuted church. That is almost fundamental. We should all be praying for our brothers and sisters across the world who are persecuted for the name of the Lord. You know, and even beyond that, there's other things we can do, more uh, physical things. We can send Bibles. I had a seminary professor would go to Sudan uh, every year to, to train pastors. And every time he went, he, what he would hear back was, we need more Bibles. Our churches don't have enough Bibles. Our people don't have enough Bibles. They get taken. They get burned. They get thrown away. We need more Bibles. So we can send Bibles to these places where people need them. We can provide financial support. That's we, as a church, we support missionaries all over the world. And a part of why we do that is this very thing. We want to bring the gospel. We want to bring the good news of God's comfort, love, and joy to the nations that don't see that every day like we do. That don't get to hear about it every day like we do. And so we support missionaries to go out and to do that and to carry that message forward for us. And we can write letters on their behalf to the governments and aid workers in those areas, you know, petitioning them to stop this persecution and raising awareness of it. You know, one of my heroes in the faith is uh, Francis Schaeffer. And Schaeffer uh, would write and respond to letters from people all the time, whether they were going through good things or bad things. You know, take a marker from that and think about his ministry and the way that he did that. We, too, can write letters to these people. And encourage them as brothers and sisters in Christ to come to know the comfort that God provides for them in a relationship with him. There is so much that we can do for those folks. Pay legal fees and there's, there's many others. But what we seek to do ultimately is to bring them closer to the comforter God. We seek to bring them closer to the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's not in the things we're doing. It's not, you know, in our prayers for them. It's not in our Bibles we're giving to them, our sending of missionaries, our letters. But rather, it's in our pointing to the Comforter God and reminding them of the love and care and peace and joy that he has for them. It's bringing them back to that gospel message. 
couple weeks ago, Eugene Peterson passed, and I've been doing some reading and thinking uh, with some of his stuff, and I came across a quote that I think is very fitting for this idea. He says, the world does not need more of you. It needs more of God. Your friends do not need more of you. They need more of God. You do not need more of you. You need more of God. And I'd add the persecuted church, those suffering do not need more of you and me. They need more of God. So look, we don't even have to go beyond our shores to talk about suffering. It's happening right here in our church too. And so there's a way in which we can do all of this here as we are there. We care for the suffering that's going on in our midst. We care for those who have lost loved ones and don't know where to look. If we can be a manifestation of that love that God offers to him, to them, through caring for them, walking with them, and pointing them back to God, we can do that in broken relationships. We are the community God has given to one another to care for and comfort and love one another. And he works through us to do that, to bring us back to himself. So we seek to bring the joy of the gospel to those that are suffering both around us physically and also those geographically far from us. And then our last point. So as we seek to bring God's comfort, love, and joy there, there's an escalating joy that happens in all of this. As we sort of share that good news with folks, as we share, you know, the good news of repentance, which was what's going on in 2 Corinthians, that, that remembering of that our identity in Christ, that joy produces more joy. That joy produces more goodness and, and, and belief and love in, in who God is and what he says about us. We just look at our passage and it's it's pretty clear that this is going on. So we start in verse 5, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, though we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, the Corinthians. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. We jump down to verse 13. Therefore we are comforted. And thinking of that repentance that they had and him hearing of that from Titus. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Verse 16. I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. And we see this cyclical idea of the joy that the gospel brings one to another. And it increases. Paul is encouraged by the Corinthians' joy. He's encouraged by Titus. And that leads him to encourage the Corinthians, who can only be encouraged by that joy that he is passing on to them. And we read Psalm 133. This is a psalm of of unity. There's lots of psalms uh, crying out to God, asking for the stopping of affliction, but this psalm sticks out to me for its beauty and how it talks about unity. Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, 
running down on the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the Mount of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's in that unity, that coming together, that mutual benefit we have in our community, that God says there is life forevermore. And it's not only that, there's a glory that we have when this is happening in our midst, when we are caring for and loving one another with the comfort of God. We see that later in the Corinthians letter, uh, chapter 8, you know, verse 21 and or 22 and 23. Uh, he's talking about the folks that are doing ministry with him, Titus and other people. And he gets to verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches of the glory of Christ. It's this idea that the glory of Christ is in us as we seek to bring out that mutual benefit of comfort and joy in the gospel with one another. Ed Welch puts it well in his book that we link to in the Friday letter. He says, imagine a group of people who move toward each other, active more than passive, loving more than fearing rejection. They look glorious. They attract the world. This is an example of what the Apostle Paul calls putting on Christ and is evidence of the spirit of Christ at work in us. So not only do we have the glory of Christ and are we bringing that comfort one to another, but as the world watches our group do this, they see, as Ken referenced earlier in his prayer, they see a group that's a bit different. A group that is not seeking their own glorification, but rather the glory of Christ in one another. It's not merely an individualistic thing it's not merely a self-identifying thing but it's for all of us and that's attractive to the watching world as the world is just surrounded by rampant individualism i want this i want that i want to do that choice 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 we all feel it but they look at this group that seems to care one for another love one for another i had another seminary professor uh, this great uh, he, he was breaking down Ephesians 4 and 5, and it was a great analogy. So there's 10 people in a room, Christians. I'm just going to say it's a small group, one of our two groups. If I came in and thought of my needs and sins and, and, and benefits, the things that I need last, and the other nine first, we would all get our needs met. Because if everyone is doing that, if everyone's caring one through nine and themselves last, we are caring one for another, and our needs and benefits, our needs and desires, they will be taken care of. And that's a picture of what this community is. As we share in suffering together, as we look to escalate that joy in one another's life, that's what it looks like. And another picture of this, I'm thinking about my kids. You know, I'm playing with my kids, and I start laughing or tickling them, and then they start laughing, and then I laugh more, and then they laugh more until someone just has to stop laughing more. Or when Theo, my oldest, and Louisa are sitting at the lunch or dinner table, they have this um, uh, very, un it's, they're not in tune, but they're sort of like calling back and forth to each other, and it just like escalates. It just keeps getting louder and louder and louder until one of us is like, okay, enough, enough, enough. But they just joy, pure joy on their face. That is what our comforting one to another looks like. 
as we rejoice in healed relationships with people, with another person, that then produces joy in that person's life. When we share about the good news, reaching the heart of a young person or in an older person, the joy that message brings encourages one to another. And that joy grows and our community begins to look like a community of good news, look like a community of love uh, that is coming down from the God of all comfort. So as we look at 2 Corinthians, we get this idea of, of what a community looks like, one that's caring for one another and, and suffering, caring for one another in the good times as well. I mean, I just think it's appropriate for us to, to think about that confession of faith again. You know, if we look at that, that statement. So being united one another in love, we have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as to conduce their mutual good, both in the inward and outward. As we seek to bring God's comfort one to another, the only result, the only result is mutual benefit one to another. The only result is to see the goodness of the Lord and to taste it as we will later. Would you pray with me? Father, as we consider your message for us, as we consider your words and the way that you work through scripture, we just ask that you would uh, let this dwell on our hearts. That we would really soak in this idea that we are united to you through Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And that there's benefits in that to us, not just as individuals, but as a group, as a community, as a congregation. Lord, we realize that it was your life, death, and resurrection that brought that about for us. And may we harness that in our lives. May we seek to love one another in love and joy from you. Pray these things in Christ's name.